Welcome to Highly Volatile, an unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both business and investing. My name is Kevin Van Trump, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader, and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together, we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth hacks and exciting new investment opportunities. But at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls or unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. And please remember, there's risk in trading futures and options. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources, conditions for you to buy or sell any commodity, any stock, or any type of other investment. So make sure you use the podcast as an educational tool to broaden your horizons and maybe add a bit more perspective. Hey, this is Kevin Van Trump with another episode of the Highly Volatile Podcast. I got uh, my good friend Andy Daniels and a special guest on today, Jeff McPike, who's a lot of people regard as one of the best uh, minds in the business on the wheat side of things. And we're going to get things kicked off here. And I know we've got a lot more probably questions and answers uh, right now about this wheat market and what's been taking place. So I'm going to let Andy kind of introduce Jeff, and then Jeff can take over, and we'll go from there. Andy, go ahead. Okay, great, Kevin. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to have uh, Jeff join us today. Um, I knew Jeff. I didn't want to date ourselves, but uh, we started a Continental Grain the same year. He had a few months on me, and uh, from there, he, he spent a lot of time in the cash side. Uh, it was a, a fob broker uh, in New York with uh, Jay Aaron. Um, has been writing a newsletter that's highly regarded around the industry, focused primarily on wheat, but touches on feed grains and, and, grain, and uh, soybeans as well. Spent a considerable amount of time over in uh, Europe and Egypt and Rotterdam um, and resides in uh, Broomfield, um, um, Colorado these days. So uh, with, he's with uh, Wasita Commodities out of, um, uh, out of the Colorado Denver area. So, Jeff, welcome. We're really glad and excited you can join us today and share with us your insights uh, of what the hell is going on in these markets. Thank you, John. It's a, it's a privilege to be on with you and share my thoughts uh, and, you know, talk together. Um, yes, as you said, Andy, I'm with Wasita Commodities. We're a, a physical uh, cash grain brokerage house doing corn, wheat, uh, oil seeds, uh, pretty much centric with the U.S., Canada, Mexico, but also worldwide, uh, India, for instance. Uh, New Zealand. Uh, so we have customers around the world, and we try to help them navigate these markets. Well, boy, uh, a lot of help and navigation is what people need right now, that's for sure. Um, Jeff, I guess uh, to kick off with, I, I, you know, I, I, I had a, the opportunity to read one of your newsletters today, and one thing really struck me. I've read many reports and people writing different opinions and commentaries on what's going on and why why all the action and the uh, excitement and the uh, May wheat um, and all the interrelationships it's having with uh, intermarket and intermarket spreads. 
But you seem to have a different explanation than I've heard much about, and it really resonates with me. I, I kind of share your opinion, but I certainly hadn't thought about it in the articulated way which you, which you seem to be thinking about it. So if you could, for our listeners, maybe share your perspective on how these index funds are really, what is at the heart of why, why this May wheat is acting historically and fundamentally irrational? Oh, thank you. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll gladly do that. Um, you know, a little very quick index fund history. I mean, they started in 2000. Um, they are basically sold to pension funds, and these products, they call them, are sold to pension funds, endowments, large uh, trading houses uh, that are not allowed to trade in margined commodities like a grain company would. So they make a product that allows them to be long these these uh, corn, wheat, petroleum, nickel, all these commodities they have a presence in. And many, uh, many pension funds, uh, teachers, uh, union members are actually long wheat, long uh, petroleum, long metals without even knowing it. So when you see somebody on the street and you ask them, why are these markets going crazy? Say it's because of you. You're long. So an index fund historically would be long only. They would buy uh, a few, they would they would buy a product from an investment bank like Goldman Sachs, who used to run one, um, and others, Morgan Stanley, others. Uh, those particular houses would go in and buy futures uh, and manage those futures. They were almost always in the front end contract. They still are most always in the front-end contract. That's the theory of indexes, that the markets will do exactly what we have seen in the last two, three, four weeks. When it was a shortage of commodities, the markets will explode, and the index value will go up. The problem is that most indexes don't liquidate ever. They stay long. So when we saw we go to $13, there was no index saying, you know, let's lighten up. Now, I shouldn't say no, because there have been new indexes evolved over the last 10 years that are called dynamic indexes, and they do do exactly that. They'll say, hey, wheat's too expensive. Let's lighten up on our, our wheat share uh, and buy something else that's lower. But by and large, the problem is you have a captive position held by the indexes, when the shorts, as we have seen, logically want to exit the market or reduce their risk and or new longs want to come in, uh, you have to go to ever higher prices and it skews the market higher. It knocks the, the intramarket spreads out of whack. Uh, and it basically doesn't do doesn't help the job of the market to get these shorts out, to get the market more even, if you will, more liquid, more at, at equilibrium. And that's the problem with the index. Jeff, one thing that, that kind of strikes me, I mean, you know, you got index funds in corn, you got index funds in beans, and they're, they're acting, I, let's call it normal for the for sake of a better word, Mm-hmm. But, but wheat seems to be on a, a planet of its own, um, and you know I was just reading somewhere that uh, there's a, there's an estimate out there 
that, that of the uh, 143,000 May open interest, 100 of that is index funds. Is it could be remotely possible. It's, re, it's very remotely possible. Um, it's the problem with the fact that the index goes where the volume is. Okay, and they did this, you know, in the early years, 2006 to 2008. We saw it happen then when we had spreads trade, intramarket spreads trade beyond full carry significantly. Uh, and that was a problem. That was fixed, if you will, by the CME. Now we have these huge inverses and where people just can't get out. And wheat, the wheat markets, the Chicago wheat market, is not big enough for, to, to accommodate all of the index money that's in it in just wheat. Corn is huge. We can accommodate them. Uh, soybeans, much bigger complex. We can accommodate it. Petroleum, easy to accommodate the index. All right? That's where this all came from, uh, yeah, from ideas. I mean, the first indexes were almost 50% petroleum. Uh, wheat was only 3 or 4%. It's still 3 or 4% of several billion dollars is a lot of money in the Chicago wheat market, which is, what, 8% of global production uh, representing? So we're having – the reaction is is these crazy wild squeezes, headed in six, headed in eight, are having it now, uh, and some – Unusual market movements like vessels of spring wheat on their way to Toledo, Ohio, trains of wheat, spring wheat on their way to Chicago. This is all happening. This is not what the market needs, but it is exactly what the market will do to address the aberrations of the backwardization in the spreads. Well, yeah, I mean, Jeff, before uh, I'll talk pre-war, um, you know, Minneapolis May was a buck fifty premium to the Chicago, yeah, and, that, and it got down to a dollar fifty. And synthetically, at one point, it traded two under two dollars. And yeah. you know what? Freight seventy five cents or so from Duluth to Chicago. So there's a big margin in there, and a hell of an incentive for someone to bring this crap in, right? The warehousemen are doing their job, of responding to the market and bringing in the wheat that supposedly the speculator, the investor, wants to have. And that's another thing that really, really, it doesn't sit well with me when we call index investors, okay? They're not, nobody invests in a Chicago wheat contract. They trade it. They manage, use it for risk management, but they don't invest in it. They invest in farmland. They invest in machinery. They invest in seed companies, but they don't invest in futures contracts. And the uh, yeah the CFTC or lets them do it. So okay, so uh, that, you just it only becomes a, a problem. Andy. Yeah, it only becomes a problem because they're distorting well, price. Yeah, they're, they're, it only becomes uh, a problem when there's a problem, right? It only becomes right. a problem during a short squeeze. When yeah. they're long and the markets go down, everybody's happy to have the index involved. Yeah, that's true. Uh, when they when they have to roll, everybody's happy to have them involved, particularly the CME, because they make so much money off of them. Right. Uh, and more, quite frankly, the, the, the side effect of indexes has been this massive growth in production in Ukraine, Russia, and around the world, because they have somehow, and again, the CME will trot out studies from 
the University of Illinois and others that they had no effect on commodity prices. Well, of course they have. They put a bottom under the market and that have helped the globe increase production, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, I mean, and, and, and all the outsiders in the, in the pension funds and index and all the funds out there other than the index funds um, that, that are buying wheat, they, they buy Chicago, not knowing that, you know, Chicago's a, you know, a, a cook, keyboard cookie wheat. It means right. absolutely nothing to our, our, our protein issues and the, and the reality that, uh, you know, Ukraine and Russia are protein wheat producers equivalent to our hard wheat. Correct. Correct. And we have a protein problem in this country that's been exacerbated by Ukraine. So, you know, how where do we go from here? I mean, is it so simple? But when when, when did the index funds roll out, Jeff? Uh, is it like the first they they have a schedule and it's, they stick they, to it around the goal? Yeah. Well, they become a little bit more um, flexible, but generally the largest indexes, particularly the and Poor's Goldman Sachs, I believe, rolls out the fifth to the ninth, or the fifth to the tenth business day in the month before. So, if we're talking about the May contract, we're thinking about the fifth to the ninth of tenth of April. Okay, and then they would they would uh, do certain positions, uh, certain amounts of it every day. Uh, they've been able to change that, build more flexibility, because. Uh, vultures like me would take advantage of those set rules and, you know, position ourselves before they had to roll out and then take advantage of the, the small money that you can make off of that. Well, me, me normally it's, it's just a small amount of money, but my God, here we are. You know, we woke up this morning and we were out at a ten premium May over, uh, over July. And, right. And at the end of the day, where do you see it going? May, July, at the end of the day, goes where March, May is now, like full carry, right? Uh, it should go to full carry because uh, as export sales continue to show us, our market is overpriced on the export market. So that means the domestic market is the only one that really needs what we have. The carryout went up in the last WASDE report to 97 million bushels. Um, that's, I mean, these can't even start this. You know, it was about 35. It was bearish as hell. Uh, now it's you know, under 100, and people get vapors because they think it's going to, you know, invert like crazy. It should go to a carry. It should go to a certain uh, whatever full carry we want to calculate at these days, whatever interest rate you want to use. Um, December, uh, July should just collapse once we have less uncertainty about what's going on in the Black Sea once commercials have a better idea of what contracts are valid and what ones are going to be declared was likely to replace the wheat that they had just bought almost less than a month ago at $150 a ton higher because they had made the mistake of buying from Russia. Wow. Um, so when it's all said and done, and, and we'll get into the uh, the, 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 the Ukraine-Russia and, and how you see these global uh, grain flows working, but before we do, I just wanted to kind of stay with the uh, uh, trading side. 
I mean, so Chicago, you know, Minneapolis, uh, you know, Chicago ran, has run away from it and, and gone to, you know, uneconomic levels. And that's resulted in, as you said, uh, rumors of trains coming in, rumors of uh, uh, salt yeah, coming in. Yeah. And uh, uh, even Canadian wheat coming in because that's deliverable in, uh, in Chicago. Correct. Correct. And so, you know, it's going to be the junk pile of, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be where the Sanford and Sons hung, hung out, right, back in the day. <laughs> so I just don't know. Does, does, does Minneapolis go back to its pre-war conditions at a, at a premium to Chicago and Chicago become the missing leg of the market? It could, and I only say it's good because Minneapolis a lot, you know, as a friend of mine, compared to yesterday, you can check in, but hey, you can't check Jeff out. Keeps, hey, Andy, Jeff keeps yeah, breaking Jeff, up. Are you, are you in a good spot, Jeff? You're kind of breaking up a little bit. I think I'm okay. Kevin, you can hear me fine, right? Yeah. Am I okay now? Yeah, yeah. you are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just moved. Uh, I just moved around. That was stupid of me. Uh, like I said, Minneapolis could go back to a premium, uh, particularly given the, the fundamentals that we see uh, in the United States with a good soft winter wheat crop and more than likely, although I'm not sure now, a smaller spring wheat planted area. Uh, it could, but Minneapolis is very difficult to get in at, to get out of once you get in, as people have found out in the last uh, couple of weeks. And it doesn't have nearly as much participation from either traditional, what you would call hedge funds or, or capital funds coming in and out, or index funds at all. So that's going to be difficult. Yeah. I mean, you, you, we, we would really need to remove the, the war risk, if you will. Andy, let me, uh, let me talk for a minute. I, uh, sure. <laughs> I think probably we need to dumb it down some for some of our listeners, obviously we got a lot of hedge funds. We got a lot of uh, people that understand the dynamics. I think it's like you and I talked yesterday and some the last week, why we were long Minneapolis and short Chicago and why we're long SEP and short May. And so the, for everyone to know, for full disclosure, I, I mean, I'm long the back end versus short the front end. Andy's probably in similar positions. I'm not going to talk for you. Uh, and, and Minneapolis against the Chicago, but when it went nuts, and you guys tell me if we're wrong, I'm wrong. I mean, I mean, when you have all these funds and all these outside people pouring money into, let's call it like Andy said, like a GameStop type moment where they're all looking for ways to cross edge their equity portfolios and other things, and they plow into a weed ETF or another ETF that is essentially a weed ETF, they load into the front end. And so let's say, uh, hypothetically, we're going to say, we know this, they're all in the May, or the majority are in the May. I know one of the funds already started rolling to set. But they're in the May. First notice day is what, Andy, uh, on May? April. First notice day? Well, you mean? Yeah, what's first notice day? First notice day, that's not until April 29th, right? But the funds will start rolling, what, the 9th, April? First week of April, uh, like second week? six, seven, the, the second week of April, yeah, uh, yeah, and some of some of the other ones a little bit earlier, get a little bit more scratched. But you're right, yeah. And so we'll the issue, yeah, the issue is that everyone needs to understand. So they run the front month hard and heavy, but if 
if May soft red, let's just play it out and extrapolate it out. If May soft reds at a $5 premium or a $3 premium to hard red or spring, well, shit, everyone's going to deliver or try to deliver every kind of wheat they can think of because exactly. it's deliverable against the soft red contract, correct? That's correct. I mean, Chicago is is always thought of as a soft red contract, but it is just a generic wheat contract with soft red, spring wheat, and hard red winter wheat all deliverable. Right. That's So it's these people that don't know anything about the dynamics of the actual contract or the deliverable, what is deliverable Feature. against the contract could really get smoked and hung if they hold this thing too long on the front end and start to get themselves into that position. That's where we're of the belief they're going to have to bail out and roll. And that's where I think yes. Jeff and Andy are both saying as they roll, they're going to be selling the front end and they're going to have to be buying into the deferreds. And, you know, some will roll Correct. in July. Some Most of them will stuff. go to July probably. Yeah. No, I, and that's, and that's the dynamic of that. And I think in a, in a, in an elementary or simplistic you know, description, that's what we see possibly playing out. We want to believe it's going to play out. I mean, we got our own money on it. Right. Um, and I'm with Jeff on the Minneapolis. It is scary because shit, it's, it's hard to get in and out of, and it's, it's maybe a little different animal, but you know, I, I think these markets have definitely done some crazy, crazy maneuvering uh, and are being, there's a lot of money pouring in. Let's just be realistic. There's a lot of outside money pouring in from the same types of peoples and players that were moving the game stops or moving some of the Wall Street bet types. I ran, I wrote in the report the other day. I mean, the wheat ETF was like the fifth most mentioned on my – so I have a algo that tracks all the Wall Street bet information, and I'll pull it up right now see where we're at today. No, but we were fifth. I mean, wheat was fifth on that. That was the weed ETF by that Ternicumum fund. Uh, yep. You know, so let me pull up a heat map right now. Yeah, it's back, back off right now, but that's why we're under pressure. So right now, it's still on the board. I mean, there's probably about 50 that are on this heat map board that I have that's an algo. Uh, the, top, the top one is CPI because uh, the, they're obviously trading against right now, but uh, – Right. Amazon's on it because of obviously the 24 split, but wheat is on right. here right now down 80% from its mentions uh, two days ago. And it's, it's where it was. So that's why, you know, I mean, it's kind of fallen down off the, off the chain here a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you're dead right. I mean, and you, you, I, we saw it come up the ranks. I'm like, Holy shit, Andy, you know, you were kind of right in your assessment. It's like a GameStop moment, and, uh, you know, that's where Correct. we were. So it's interesting. They, it's the people who have to get out, when they try to get out, it's going to be uh, as almost as bloody uh, as it was it on the way in. Yeah. yeah, it could be. So, you know, I was, uh, I was reading um, uh, a different newsletter today, and it was, it was talking about um, – how the comparing uh, uh, the nickel market to you know the the big short John Lewis's book the big short yeah I saw that yeah. they've suspended trading in the in the LME and apparently there's some big Chinese firm or individual who cl- claims to be a firm 
This guy like an eight billion dollar margin call. He's the biggest short out there. He's like the big part of the open interest, and you know they don't know what to do. I mean, I don't say that you know we're, we're the board of trade is anywhere near that level, but hell, we're doing things now I never would have thought we'd do. Is that even a possible remote concept if we break this market in that regard? I don't. I think do. But- Think got so. I hope not. I mean, I, quite frankly, you have to say that U.S. commodity markets, uh, even Matif uh, in, in Paris, have acted fairly well. I mean, we haven't shut down. We haven't gone. I mean, yeah, sure, we've gone limit, but we also have options that can trade um, and synthetic uh, and spreads that you can get out of a position if you have to. Uh, so that exists, although some of the customers who were caught particularly the ones overseas, didn't have that ability because they don't, they're not allowed to trade options. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, there were ways to get out or you could put other things on. It was, a lot of it was making the margins because a lot of the financing for these companies has been reduced. That's another issue that certainly would be great if uh, the administration would, uh, would look into uh, instead of maybe giving billions of dollars to other people, maybe they look at financing commodity uh, uh, accounts that uh, are legitimate hedging accounts, whether they're farmers or, or, or users. But nobody wants to talk about that because it doesn't buy as many votes. Yeah. Hey, so I think Jeff, and, you know, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I think right, we've Jeff. said for years, I think we've said for years that the soft red winter wheat market is, is at risk and highly in jeopardy. I mean, just if you if you just use simple round number, like Andy, you said there were 150,000 open open interest, just saying the May. Well, you know that's 750 uh, what 750 million bushels, uh, just times five thousand. You know, five thousand contract for bushels. But then, right. hell, we produce less than you know you produce less than 400 million bushels, and you produce like 360, 360. I mean, so just in one one month. I mean, you have to do an entire year of, of open interest and as you can see you, you you're trading massively higher amounts of open interest and volume than even what you produce so you know it, it's it is suspect <laughs> let's put it that way i think it can be extreme and, and i think that's something everyone needs to know but you know and like i like what jess said i mean it's really good when it's good but it can be really really bad when it's bad and i i you know i think you have to be understanding and open-minded to that fact and that's you know as a producer a grant a wheat producer that's why i you know say you, you have to be willing to take advantage uh, of some of these extreme moves when they happen or present themselves because they can evaporate just as quickly as they came about but so you guys opportunities that, for farmers to hedge two two or three years out if they, if they, oh i agree we were selling in 2023 yeah, we we were yeah, selling twenty twenty three. But what are your and Andy's opinion, Jeff? You got? Well, I mean, what do we think longer term? I mean, I was a little squirreled up by the USDA numbers, uh, just even on the corn production side of things. You know, just barely lower in Ukraine and bumping Russia a hair higher. And it's like, I mean, what do we think? Hell, maybe we could see we, you know, have a big pullback here and then take back off to the upside. I mean. I think it's anyone's guess, at least from my perspective. What do you guys think? Andy, you want to rock, rock first? Or? Oh, go ahead. 
All right. Well, so we have been in this situation for a couple decades now. Basically, the United States ramping down wheat production. While we go back to a better cell area where your uh, your bar is a little higher. There is that better. Uh, Say a few words. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, There you are. Okay. All right. So we have been a a multi-decade decline, as we all know, in U.S. planted area of wheat, which makes perfect sense because our farmers were reacting and planting soybeans and, and other commodities that made them more money. Uh, the Russians are ramping up production. The Ukrainians ramping up production. But still, for the last four or five years, uh, still having record wheat crops or near record wheat crops, we were not building any stocks anywhere except for maybe China. Uh, consumers still, until even a month ago, were on the, I'm going to buy it cheaper at harvest when the Russians have to sell it cheaply. That ship has sailed. Not only sailed, it sank. All right? That doesn't exist anymore. People need, consumers need to start realizing that sub $200 a ton wheat doesn't exist. It won't exist unless there's a huge problem, and then you don't care because there's an apocalypse going on someplace. Uh, so they have to get their, their minds around the fact that they, they're not trading in the souk anymore, uh, and they can't buy it. And I think we're starting to see some of the ramifications of the 2008-2012 period when so many Middle Eastern uh, buyers and importers who were dependent on imports went out and said, we're going to build storage, we're going to add and put stocks in store. They always say they're going to do it, but then they realize that it might cost some money and they don't. Um, Anyhow. It's uh, This needs to be done. People need to add the stores 30 days or 60 days or 90 days of storage of wheat, uh, corn, or beans is not enough in this environment. Yep. Just on time inventory uh, is, oh, is great when it works, but it doesn't uh, in the case of uh, feeding the uh, masses, that's for sure. That's or right. look at our supply chain issues in every regard. So. Yeah, I think if there's a lesson to be learned, it's uh, you can't rely on that as much as you did back in the day. The world well, we've, Yeah, we've seen Iraq supposedly come in and say they want to buy 3 million tons. Yeah, this is not the time to buy 3 million tons at record prices or 2 million tons. The Egyptian military is trying to, to buy half a million tons. Good luck. They have no idea what they're doing, but they're trying to do it to have security. It doesn't make sense. Well, to really answer the question about where do we go from here, you have to ask yourself, well, where does this war go from here? Because that's you know, that really is at the at the heart of, of price direction. And uh, you know, where do you how do you see that, Jeff? Do you see do you see uh, Ukraine? They'll plant something this year. Will they lose twenty five percent? And then what about all the unshipped grain that didn't get out of there? And you know, uh, will that get out eventually, maybe by October? No. We've seen shipments continue for Russia, and we will see shipments continue for Russia, not at this pace that the market particularly would like, but we're going to see shipments of wheat from Russia. As for how the war goes, um, 
Unfortunately, I think we gave up, the Western world gave up Ukraine in 2014. We just didn't. Um, and, Go back to the, your good spot, Chef. Oh, here? Well, yeah, maybe. Okay. okay. Um, I said, I, I think we gave up Ukraine, the Western world did in 2014. Um, and, uh, and so I think that soon becomes part of Russia. Uh, and I hope it never does, but I think it will. And then, uh, then I'll think they'll be able to ship some of the stuff that they've had on the books uh, already grown in this in store sometime in August, September, October, whether they can get anything planted this spring. I'm highly suspicious. So maybe you get 40 or 50% of production and then the world just has to adjust. I'm not happy about it, but uh, I think this is what has happened. Yep. And I guess part of that uh, demand from the, what we won't get out of Ukraine will be made up with, uh, you know, high prices and uh, rationing. Yes. Uh, yeah, there, people, the West can be as, as righteous as it wants to be about uh, boycotts and, and, and not buying anything. But the, the, the hungry part of the world, the Middle East, India, and others, no, they're going to buy Russian and Ukraine grain when they're when they, when it's available because they have yes. to. Cool. That's right. And so that'll work. I think, but you know, really, if you look at it, uh, wheat's a problem, yes. But but corn it shouldn't be ignored in terms of it's upside down in that regard either, right? If we want to envision, and this is a what. The consequences of the terms of fourth EU climate change policy will be congratulations. This is it. This is it. We're removing production from the world, supply from the world, and yet the world still is hungry place. Uh, this is what would have happened if we would have allowed the EU to implement, or the EU would allow themselves to implement farm to fork policy and cut back and become a major importer. This is the consequence. Mm-hmm. So you you all tell me, do we cut down some more rainforests in Brazil? Do we release set aside CRP in the United States? And not farm to fork. We don't want to reduce production and go organic. Well, that, that's another thing being talked about, Jeff. There, there's talk about, you know, dropping the CRP, dropping uh, ethanol mandates, fossil fuels, uh, et cetera, et cetera, in Europe and in the United States uh, for, for the set-aside. Will that make a difference? Is there time to do it this year to, to affect, you know, supplies and the like? Hey, Jeff, go back to a better spot. Dropping ethanol is going to be a lot harder than we all think. Go back to a better uh, uh, location for your uh, uh, trucking. Okay. Um, hold on. Here? Mm, no. Hello. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I guess uh, Verizon, I, I hate Verizon sometimes. Hello. Yep. Okay. Cutting yeah, um, is going to be difficult. How do you oxygenate the gasoline? Do you, you can use the place you use? Uh, Keep moving around, Jeff. Keep moving around. Damn. Uh, here. Yeah. That's it. 
probably Hello. just in and out, in and out some. Hello. Like, but. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Is that better? Yep. Keep it trying. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how much before, but it's just not that easy to replace ethanol in the gasoline blend. Just not that easy at all. Beat the renewable diesel out, but the environmentalists are going to like that too much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, know, you know, we would. Uh, I can't hear you. Um, okay. I mean, I think it's going to be hard to adjust the uh, the, the the ethanol, and uh, you probably can do a lot more with the uh, uh, the diesel um, and, and, and free up some uh, oil uh, to help support the uh, global markets. And it kind of looked like they reflected that a bit in the WASDE report, where they uh, um, decreased domestic consumption and increased exports. So that yes. kind of start in the right direction there, it looks like. That's right. But you will see demand destruction like we have not even thought about yet. We'll see a lot more of it. And I think, to be fair, WASDE did put out a statement after the fact saying this is only a preliminary addressing of these things. We've only had two weeks. If it continues, there will be a lot more changes. Mm-hmm. So, so when, yeah, you, when I, you look at our, our scope points, Wheat's pretty strong. Uh, what are your thoughts on corn? Uh, we've, we've got a real problem with corn, particularly, and we, we haven't talked about this, but if the Chinese wheat crop is as bad as they say, then you take away one of the feed ingredients that they might have been able to use in China this uh, coming year, and they may need more corn, uh, not less than we think. Uh, the ag attache over there, as, as we all know, cut the import number to 20 million versus 26. WASDE keeps on holding 26. Um, and you would have thought that if Ukrainian corn exports were going to be down 6 million tons, that maybe some of those were destined to China that they cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't adjust those at all. That will come. Um, China needs to reduce stocks. I mean, uh, these are record prices. China needs to reduce stocks uh, of corn. They need to import less, but they've got a lot of money, and they don't particularly worry about prices as much as, uh, let's say, Algeria. So what does all that mean? I mean, uh... corn is probably of the grains more bullish than wheat quite frankly. I would agree. Uh, uh, and soybean oil and vegetable oil, sunflower oil, uh, that's where the price rationing must be the most extreme, in my humble opinion, but I'm not that great at, uh, at oil seeds complex, but there, there's a problem there. Uh, and that, that should mean more canola in Canada, uh, and it should mean that we plant more beans, although they are only 18% oil in the United States. Right. That's, that's an oil issue. So, yeah, that's why I think spring wheat acres is probably going to be lower, not higher, despite the fact that we're at these elevated prices in wheat. Um, there's a lot more that needs to be paid to be done for uh, the oil and then the corn complex. The one, you know, everybody talks about India exporting all this wheat. Uh, what they don't really talk about is that's mostly feed wheat, not milling wheat. Right. So uh, that will go into Korea and other places to help soften the blow 
of, of this Ukrainian lack of corn shipments. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. Kevin, what are your uh, thoughts on uh, prices as we wrap things up here? Yeah, no, I, I'm hesitant to, you know, <laughs> I, I, I know we've had a great run and a big run higher. I'm hesitant. I'm sold out of old crop beans, obviously. I sold out of them when the first time we pushed through 1660. Uh, you know, obviously missed some of that really crazy move to the top. Um, I've still, I got about 40% of uh, new crop price. I, uh, you know, looked at that Nove when it got up there to 1550 and just kind of wasn't pre- prepared for it to explode that day when it did. And so I didn't make any sales there. I, I would like to make some up there again. Uh, I don't want to get too much past 50% sold at this time. Just because I think you, in corn as well, I've only got about 25% of corn sold. Uh, still just a little bit old crop corn left, just gambling stock. You know, I just think you got an entire U.S. weather season ahead. I don't That's think right. the USDA has made any substantial adjustments to the Russia uh, war in Ukraine. And I think you have a lot of uncertainty still ahead that could be bullish with Chinese demand on the corn side, like Jeff's alluding to. So, I mean, in my opinion, you got the three biggest wild cards possible. You got U.S. weather in play. You got Russia in play with Ukraine, and you got China in play. So, I I'm hesitant to believe that all the bullishness has been cooked in. Definitely had a run. Maybe we, you know, maybe we break it uh, and spook some of the weak knees out. But but I don't want to get too oversold as of yet. And. Uh, I think there's still and Kevin. If I can, if I can add yeah. one more factor in there that yeah. people are talking about, but they're not really realizing, it's the irrational actions of governments in response to what's going on in Russia, very true, and Ukraine, very true, uh, banning this, blocking this, supplies that could be and should flow to the market that they don't need, but they keep back as a food security excuse. Well, Jeff, here's here, here's the other thing. What I was explaining last night to to my son, I, I said, you know, pe- people want to say even if like the USDA numbers on Ukraine or Russia, we know that the government with the sanctions is going to try and create the craziest hyperinflation you've ever seen inside Russia. Now, if you're a producer yeah. in Russia, what's that mean? You're going to hold on to your wheat bushels. You're not going to sell. It's your only possible hedge against inflation there is. You're, you're certainly not going to sell and turn it into rubles. I mean, <laughs> there's true. no way. There's no way in hell. Same way in Ukraine if you have a situation that starts to unravel economically. So those numbers are so far off. I mean, they're not even close to what reality could bring if you have runaway-type inflation in those countries. Uh, I mean, you'll see people like you're saying – Governments, people will lock down bushels. I mean, I think that's not cooked in yet. So that scares me the most. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Pretty crazy. So what do you think, Andy? I share the same fears and concerns. Um, I, yeah. I, I, the dealing with a, a guy like Putin and, uh, and having an administration like we do right now. It's probably the most precarious place and situation we've ever been in, in my lifetime. And uh, I, I think it's uh, time to be extremely cautious. And I, I can assure you of one thing, 
the world's going to look beyond different in, in six months than it does now. I mean, That's three weeks sure. ago, the only thing we talked about was COVID, and now we can't even spell COVID. It's no longer <laughs> a, a source of conversation. And, and you know, is there a conspiracy with, uh, with China and Russia? Hell, who knows? But, uh, you know, I, I really worry about the leadership in this country and how it's going to respond to anything or won't respond. And um, I think the rest of the world sees the weakness in that regard. And uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot we can do about it, but, um, you know, batten down the hatches and uh, prepare for the worst and uh, hope for the best. That's right. Let's hope for Ukraine. Yep, I agree. I agree. So, yeah, we really uh, we need to do that. Um, yeah. Well, guys, I've really enjoyed the conversation a lot. Uh, Jeff, if, if any of our listeners had any interest in uh, contacting you about some of the services that you provide, uh, how would they go about it? Well, they can just uh, email me at mcweat m c w h e a t at msn dot com, and I'll gladly uh, discuss issues with them and uh, let them know if they want to. Uh, get some information from me and work with us uh, with Wasita. Well, that's great. Great. Um, okay. Well, uh, Kevin, any last words? No, I think it's great. I appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for taking your time. And, uh, you know, you know thanks for having on. me, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Yep, Stay we, really, we really appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's timely uh, conversation. And, uh, you know, aim low. They're riding Shetlands. <laughs> you got it. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Take care, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. See you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.